0: SNAP Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week in this podcast, we delve into an international issue, and Keith breaks it down for us, makes it very easy for us to understand because a lot of these issues are quite complex by nature. And uh, and Keith is, you know, you've he, been commentating on these issues in the media and otherwise for many, many decades. You're across your brief, my friend. You Thank are a man <laughs> to be trusted. Three PhDs on the issue of international relations as well and various topics. And so today we're going to be talking about the future or well, the new era of warfare, yes. which is just it's quite confronting in itself.
1: It is indeed. So this is um, a book by David Kilcullen called The Dragons and the Snakes and How the Rest Learned to Fight the West. So uh, the phrase the dragon and the snakes was coined in the early 1990s by the then uh, head of CIA, who was talking about the fact that the United States had won the Cold War and had slain the Soviet dragon. But you've got to be very careful about the snakes. So the snakes are terrorist groups of one sort or another. So well ahead of the creation or at least the activities of Al-Qaeda and Islamic State, etc. Boko Haram, there was this warning that we're moving into a world of snakes. So David Kilcullen, I might just say, is an Australian. He might have an American citizenship by now. He's based in the United States. He went through um, the Australian Defence Force Academy, served in the Australian Defence Force, later was an advisor to the Americans in Iraq, and is now based mainly in the United States. He gets back to Australia from time to time And this is a book which he's providing um, a sort of, if you like, how there's a unified theory of how countries and guerrilla groups, et cetera, now uh, have threats that overlap and intersect. So what he's saying as part of the book is that the the rest, in other words, we have the United States, uh, UK, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera, but then we are, we represent, oh, I don't know, what, 10% of the world's population. The rest of the world would be China, the old Soviet Union, which is now Russia, and a host of other countries, and then all the terrorist groups. What he's, what he's arguing is that, in fact, it's almost like Charles Darwin talked about with evolution, that these are people who have learned from their mistakes. So remember, Darwin's argument was the the people or the animals that survived in evolution were those that were best equipped to cope with the environment in which they found themselves. And so Darwin's argument is that people or or animals, whatever, can evolve over time, and that is what is now happening. In other words, that other entities have learned from what has gone on. He's got a very graphic example of a a young... um, terrorist firing a missile out in the street. So he comes from from hiding behind a wall, goes into the street in order to fire his weapon and becomes immediately visible and is killed. That's the end of his career. You know, within his military career lasted a few seconds. In the theory of evolution, the people who would have witnessed that realised that's a dumb thing to do. We're not going to do it. So that over a period of years the terrorist groups become more and more sophisticated. We've seen that with the work that they do on on websites, etc., that they're very sophisticated at recruiting people. The Canadian government was very interested in the way in which some years ago Canadian teenagers were ending up as brides of the warriors in, in the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. So they were being recruited via cat videos. So they'd be watching cat videos in their bedrooms in Canada and then uh, women working for Islamic State will come up beside them in cyberspace and start the conversation about cats and then how the Prophet Muhammad was very interested in cats as well. And then somehow they would get the money, they would have a passport, they'd get to Istanbul and then be taken by truck from Istanbul into the Islamic State-controlled territory of Syria and Iraq.
0: I've never heard that version of events about the cat video. It's really interesting. It's
1: very interesting, yeah. It just shows how sophisticated these terrorist groups are. And that, and uh, it, the incident is not in this book. It's one that I've come across separately. But it does show this notion of evolution, that the groups are getting smarter and they're learning from things. When I When I was in Northern Ireland during the conflict there, the IRA went through a major change. In the old days, the IRA had a traditional military structure. So you'd grab somebody who's part of that military structure and he or she, usually a he, would then reveal the order of battle of all of his colleagues. So you'd get a a fairly clear idea of who was above him and who was below him. They then realised that was a security problem. So they then evolved and so they then worked in cells. So if you grabbed hold of one person, all he could do would be to tell you what that cell is doing. He couldn't say what else is going on in the rest of the organisation. So they, they developed cells. Now, the British responded by mapping every house in Northern Ireland. So you grab somebody and say, who are you? And the person would perhaps make up a an address and they'd say, well, what's the colour of the wallpaper on the bedroom on the top floor of that house? So he would have to know, if that's his house, he would know the colour of the wallpaper or the paint or whatever. So this is how people evolve in warfare. They're getting smarter. And, and what, what um, David Kilcullen is saying is that warfare is changing. So going back to the dragons, so the dragon was the Soviet Union, which we thought was slain. Well, okay, the old Soviet Union went in February of 1991, but it's now been replaced by a much smarter Russia, which has revamped its military. So all the old military ideas have gone. They've still got nuclear weapons, Mm. but they've got new ways of operating, and China, of course, is now the new threat. And some people have argued that, in fact, China is a bigger threat to the United States because we know now that the Soviet Union had an economy the size of Canada and was taking on the United States, whereas with China, it has an economy pretty much equal to the United States or getting up to it. So it's going to be much more of a a difficult rival. And and it's interesting. I've been sent a, a story which has appeared in the Washington Post. Here's a fact that ought to startle every American who assumes that because we spend nearly a trillion dollars each year on defence, we have primacy over our emerging rival, China. Over the past decade, in United States war games against China, the United States has a nearly perfect record. We have lost almost every single time. Now, this fits in with what Kilcullen is saying, because we think in terms of, of big, heavy military equipment, because, after all, that's where the money is being made by the military-industrial complex. <laughs> but, of course, the Chinese and the Russians um, are now indulging in what Kilcullen calls liminal warfare. In other words, that it, it's hacking. It could be disruption of all sorts. could be weakening of alliances. Clearly, Brexit is good news for Russia because mm. it's breaking the UK away from the European Union. Yep. So Kilcullen is saying the two dragons that we ought to be worried about are getting a lot more sophisticated than the dumb old dragon that died in February 1991.
0: This is Global Truths. This is Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about the future of warfare today, or the new era of warfare, better said, and how um, groups around the world were now, uh, well, we use terrorists as a great example, but how they have evolved all the way through and they've got new weapons, they've got new ways of getting people on board and of... um, getting them to change allegiances, if you will. And now we're talking about governments that are doing the same thing, in Russia and China are great examples of that.
1: Absolutely. So though you, so Kilcullen is warning that the two dragons that we now have mm. are a lot more sophisticated. Okay, we've spent a lot more money. Remember, the United States spends a trillion dollars a year on defence. But it may well be a lot of that is just being wrongly spent. And then we're up against enemies who are much more nimble... And we'll be able to exploit the lumbering vulnerability of that equipment. So the wargaming that goes on um, includes uh, the Chinese knocking out the American spy and communication satellites, knocking out the forward bases on Guam and Japan with precise missiles. Our aircraft carriers would have to sail away from China to escape attack because aircraft carriers are huge lumbering ships. Our F-35 fighter jets couldn't reach their targets because the refueling tankers they would need would be shot down. So, and it's interesting, Kilcullen says that the period of American supremacy lasted 12 years. So February 1991, the Soviet Union has gone. And then for the next 12 years, America is number one. So previously we've talked about a bipolar world, with the United States and the old Soviet Union. And then we have what is called the unipolar world. In other words, there was one pole, one dominant player in the world, and that was the United States. And that lasted for only 12 years, February 91 until March of 2003, when the Americans began their ill-advised campaign against Iraq. And, of course, since then, the United States... Uh, continues to do badly in warfare, I came across another article which has argued that since 1945 only four wars have been won by the United States, four victories since 1945. Um, I won't embarrass you by asking you to identify them. I had problems trying to work out all four, Grenada, Panama, Kuwait and Kosovo. I might ask my students at Boston University if they can find these four on the map. They are the only four since 1945 that the United States could say, yes, we won. And they're basically small neo colonial outposts. Grenada, not Grenada, that's in Spain, but Grenada oh, just, is in the Caribbean.
0: That's what I was thinking about. Yeah,
1: okay. Grenada is in the Caribbean. And
0: one there. Yeah, there is oh, one that's somewhere
1: there. I wouldn't know exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yet, and yet you would think the way that they have positioned themselves in the world, they would have done a little bit better than that.
1: They would indeed, yes, because if you look back to Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, they're not getting clear-cut military victories. Mm-mm. It's not a rerun of World War One or World War II when you get a clear surrenders. And uh, as we speak, the United States is losing in Iraq, which is now basically run by Iran, and it's doing badly of course, in Afghanistan. So they are the two dragons. And then the snakes are the variety of terrorist groups. So these rise and fall. So you get the rise of of Al-Qaeda, which still exists, albeit as a brand. The Islamic State is still around. It's no longer claiming to hold territory. That was a premature move by the then leader. And he paid for that mistake with his life. But as a brand, Islamic State still exists. And the worry that Kilcullen has is that we're spending so much money on all this gold-plated equipment, and yet we're up against enemies that are much more nimble. And it means that we're into this, well, a new era of warfare, basically. You know, we've been very comfortable thinking that we were supreme, that we're spending so much on military matters. Remember, my second doctorate is on the economics of the arms race. And one of the things I looked at was the way in which military expenditure is an input, not an outcome. So in other words, if you're manufacturing, say, automobiles, you don't look at what you, how much money you spend to produce each automobile, it's how many do you actually sell. That is the outcome. How many cars do we sell? But in the case of military expenditure, we just keep paying the money in And we assume there is some magic formula that it's got to be 2% or 3% or 4% of of gross national product. And somehow that secures our defence. But in fact, that's not the case. So the Americans spend a trillion dollars a year. They do keep people employed. It's interesting to see the way in which contracts for military equipment are scattered across all the constituencies in the United States. So if you try to cut back on any of the military activities, you know, in terms of military expenditure, you'll end up with complaints from members of Congress or senators. So it's a great example. It's the best example of socialism in the world, the way in which the Americans uh, keep people employed. So that's the input. But then if you look at the outcome, you would have to say, well, the Americans don't win wars. That That's the problem that we've got. And the for me, the value of kill Cullen's book is that he's so good Bringing it all together in in terms of warning us about the dragons and the snakes, and also coming up with a theory about how people improve, in, if if we can use that term, in terms of fighting wars.
0: So what then? What where to from here then, Keith?
1: Well, we've obviously got, in from Australia's point of view, we've got to think: is it still safe for us to be so linked to the United States, given that it no longer runs wars? Mm. China is clearly going to continue. Brand China has obviously been damaged by the coronavirus, but it still has these global ambitions for 2049, the 100th anniversary of the Communist Revolution, to be the number one country in the world. So we need to be thinking more about how do we respond to China? Do we build up Indonesia? But given its appalling human rights record, do we rely on Indonesia as our protector? These are really big issues which are simply not getting discussed in politics that we spend too much time discussing trivia in politics and not at these really big questions that are emerging. Let me give an example, you know, President Trump correctly has identified China as the big foreign policy threat to the United States. Not not Islamic state, not Al Qaeda. He's saying China is the problem. But what has he done? Instead of building a global coalition to oppose China, he idolizes President Xi and disparages traditional allies like the Europeans. So although he's got the right idea in terms of the challenge to the United States, he's got the wrong strategy to follow through. America ought to be back building up alliances as a way of trying to cope with China. So that's why I find the Kill Cullen book so important for us to get our heads around this new era of warfare.
0: Dr Keith is always enlightening. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.